521 to 33, for those listening, you've missed the best part of the sermon, but now it's going. But in seriousness, this text is for all people. This isn't just a text for married people, nor next week for parents and children, nor the week after for those employed or bosses. You can be retired, self-employed, an adult with no parents on earth, never married or divorced. And the reality is these texts should point you, if seen right, to know the Lord better, to love him more fully, and to love others, as God calls us to. So hang on to that as we're going through this. Ephesians 5, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves a wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wives, y'all been submitting right? Husbands, they doing good? If you answer yes or wives said yes, you missed the whole point of that sermon. The Christian life, when we come to saving faith, is a life where we begin to think, where we should begin to think. Look, look at Paul's prayer back in uh, Ephesians, I think it was 3, well, 3.14. Do you guys remember six years ago when we looked at that, what Paul prayed? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Put that in layman's term. Paul's praying that we would see God clearly, know God well, and begin to walk as he has saved us too in light of our new identity in Christ. And so there's a battle. The problem for us as saints is we forget we live in this battle to think. So we go by assumption, we go by feeling, we go by the culture. I'll give you an example. When you got married, ladies, most of you, I assume, changed your last name. Why? I remember that one messed with me when we were engaged. One day she says, what if I don't want to change my last name? And as an unsafe person, I said, well, that ain't happening. (laughs) Listen, you got to take my name like it or not. And I should not be sitting in your parents' Christmas photo because I'm not in their family anymore. And neither are you. Sanctified as all get out before I was saved. I didn't say it quite like that. They were longer conversations. She was messing with me because remember last week she loved Dr. Pepper? You remember that? So, so there's been another man involved here, but he's a doctor. Soon I will be, God willing. But why do you take the husband's last name? Is that biblical? You don't write it's biblical. But did you take it because it's biblical? 
you want to talk about so many areas in life. What, what happens is we, we forget to think. Who takes out the trash at home, the husband or the wife? Kids. What's that? Kids. The kids. We'll get to that next week. <laughs> Who should take out the garbage? I hope, you're right. I hope you recognize it's not that simple, but by principle and precept, this lays it all out for us. The goal is to think. The Christian life is a thinking life. It should be. It shouldn't be a reacting or assuming or a culturally led life. It's a thinking life. And so what we're seeing here is how to think so that we might walk in light of who we are, in light of who Christ is. Our goal is to see ourselves in one another as God sees us, to see God as who he truly is, and to trust and obey God in light of this. What does that look like? Imitators of God, beloved children, in love, walking as God calls us to as children of light. We've been through all this, walking in wisdom, understanding God's will, filled by his spirit. Two weeks ago, we looked at wives submitting. If you missed it and you're a wife, you're in a world of trouble. I believe it recorded. You can listen to it. Sunday school, you'll see we have a pivot today, which allows for some good discussion about this. Last week, husbands as heads. Remember we talked about the husband as savior and sanctifier, but not prophet, priest, and king, nor Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Savior in the sense of protector, sanctifier in the sense of positioner. So the goal in marriage and mutual submission is the sanctification progressively of the spouse. The husband is not equipped to do this on his own. He is not the one who is like Moses at the tabernacle with a unique connection to God who determines what his children should and shouldn't do. Do you want to know the will of God in my house? Come and ask me. It's a problem. If you want to know the will of God in my house, my wife and children, I hope they come and ask me, but I hope they understand that I don't dispense God's will. I point to God's will found in his word and often collectively discerned amongst his people, not through the guy with the balding head always. So today we're going to go a little bit further. We're going to look at this mysterious union about husband and wife being one flesh. I don't know if you remember from Dylan and Kylie's wedding, I, I made a comment about how when they get married, they become something new, right? Kylan, or Dilly, one flesh. So Laura and I, we weren't as compatible. It's Jorah or Lon. I, I don't like that. I like Dilly and Kylan. What is that about? What God has joined together, let no man separate. Can I show you something? See, I'm swinging my arms. She's not. What, what's going on here? What, what is this union about? Well, notice it says, verse 32, this mystery is profound. You know what a mystery is biblically? Well, culturally, it's like a secret. You all, you all read Sherlock Holmes, right? Or, or you, you've read a mystery. There was a dead body on the ground. Three people stood around the body, staring into one another's eyes. Blood was on the maid's hand. The chef held a mallet, and the master of the estate looked amiss. What happened? Gather round as we solve the mystery of the Morrison home. Just making sure they're awake back there, making sure. (laughs) Biblically, a mystery is not something that you don't know. It's something that's inaccessible to the human mind unless aided by God to understand the mystery of the gospel. 
the mystery of this union. And the point is to understand this mystery, we have to understand the union of Christ and the church. Look at what it says in verse 32. It's a marvelous little section. Ephesians 1, 23, 4, 16, 5, 30, all talk about the church as the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are vitally connected to Christ. We are part of Christ himself. You want me to blow your minds? Everybody hold on to your ears so it doesn't squirt out the side. Christ cannot be complete without you. you say, what? He's the second person of the Trinity, eternally perfect. Yeah. But as mediator, he can't be perfect without you. 126, read it. We are the fullness of Christ. It's the body of Christ. What does it mean? He's attentive to us. He cares for us. He loves us. He provides for us perfectly. Can you slow down and rest? I don't have to preach as long today. Christ loves you. Christ delights in you as his. Christ is attentive to you. You are his because God the Father gave you to the Son, and the Son delights in you as a perfect husband delights in his bride. Can you just take a deep breath and be like, that's sufficient for today? Where's this come from? Back in Genesis 2. God made Adam, he made everything, and everything was good, right? Wrong. It was not good that man should be alone. God had called Adam to go out and populate the earth, to fill the earth. And I don't know if you ever talked to your parents as adults about how this works, but a man cannot populate the earth by himself, I'm just saying. Right? You've got to get a bird and a bee. Well, so how is he going to populate the earth? He needs a helpmate. How is he going to have dominion? He needs a helpmate. So God put a deep sleep on Adam, and from Adam he made woe man, out of man. Named her Eve. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Y'all with me? Didn't God put a deep sleep on my Savior? Didn't he pull a church out of his body? Didn't he raise us to newness in life? To be the bride of Christ who he gave to his son? Doesn't the church submit to Christ as the wife submits to the husband? And Christ is the head of the church as the husband is the head of the wife? And Hold on a minute. We are the body of Christ. There's a tactile religious element to it for another time, but it's a tenderness, the affection, the unity, the connection. We are a very help made of Christ. When we understand this mysterious union, we understand that Christ nourishes and cherishes his people with selfless abandon, serving his bride so that she might be sanctified and prepared to live with him forever. Isn't that sufficient for today? Do, do you see yourself as Christ sees you? Maybe you've got a sketchy husband, wives, but you've got an awesome Savior. He delights in you. And man, you want the humbler? You're the bride of Christ. Not that way. But he delights in us too. He is our head, he is our savior, he is our friend, he is our redeemer. He is not complete without us. Why would the eternally perfect second person of the Trinity take on flesh to become our mediator and savior and put himself in a position where he needs us to be complete? God himself as mediator will not be complete until all the elect are reconciled to himself and his bride is made perfect. 
See, God doesn't see you as, oh, there's some technicality. I'm showing something to the angels, and I got to use you people as bit players, so I'm going to save you and sanctify you. No, 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 no. Don't miss that. Remember last week we talked about eros and phileo and agapao? Right? Remember we talked about the attraction to, the fondness of, the brotherly affection towards, and that deep abiding selfless love as well? Don't miss the fact that God is affectionate towards you and fond towards you and delights in you as his people. It's not like a king who has 47 children and, you know, oh, that is my son. I don't really remember his name and I don't know what the deal is with him, but that is my son. No, no. It's like a king who actually delights in his children. Here's the flipper. Travel back in time when Paul wrote this. Do you know Barb wouldn't get to sit next to Jim? That wouldn't be culturally acceptable. Even in the Jewish community, Barb would go back there behind the curtain. Y'all would have to go with her too. Us men, this is man's business in here if we're, if we're Jewish folks in the temple. You can still find this in Hasidic congregations today. Children and wives in the back behind the curtain, shut your mouth. This is man's business. Your man will take care of you at home. Women were, were seen as, as property. They, they, they were quiet. They were told what to do. They, they had value, but they were not cherished. And look at what Christ is showing us, how he cherishes his bride. Now, here's the problem we have. We have flipped it to the other extreme. From an over-the-top patriarchal society, we've gone to an over-the-top matriarchal society. Happy wife, happy life. Now, 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 it's a funny coffee mug, but it's just not biblical. Now, I'm not recommending, man, make your wife unhappy because you make your wife miserable. Amen? It should be happy wife, happy husband. No, let's pivot that. Spirit-filled wife, spirit-filled husband, spirit-filled wife. Spirit-filled wife, spirit-filled husband, biblical marriage. Spirit-filled wife, spirit-filled husband, mutual sanctification. Do you see the difference? So we've swung to the patriarchal overload. It's been a result of the, the feminist movement by and large. Now, now he's getting political. I'm not getting political, but listen to me. We live in strange times of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's not bad, but it's approached the wrong way so often. Be because equal value is not found in equity of outcome in every circumstance. You know, everybody's not supposed to be whatever they want to be. God puts limits on us. If I have a, a little girl, and I'm not going to look at her and say, you can be anything you want to be. Because off the bat, she ain't going to be a tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now fast forward 30 years, maybe. God forbid. Why God forbid? Come down to Sunday school, I'll explain. If I have a little boy, I'm, I'm not going to say, you can't be everything you want to be. Why? What if he wants to be a mama? You can't well now see what happened. We're getting down to sketchy time. My, my friends, God created people with a wonderful natural order and shows us how it all points to Christ. Our role with Christ is to submit to Christ. Give you a fast forward to next week. You know, one of the greatest signs of depravity in a culture, I'll blow your minds here, shows up several times in scripture. How do you know when you're dealing with a depraved culture? Disobedient children. And you're like, oh, it's them. No, no, careful now. Anybody disobedient to Christ? You, you know what? That comes from depravity. You know what we're missing? We're missing seeing how Christ sees us. You don't start with, do what God says. 
You start with, see who God is and who he says you are. See the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the affection of God. And then when you hear the voice of God as your perfect Savior and friend and father and husband, we delight by his spirit to do his will. So we come to this marital bond between the husband and the wife, and husbands and wives are made one flesh. We're called to be attentive to one another. He's talking to the husband as our own bodies. That doesn't mean I shave Laura's face. It doesn't say, love your wife in the same way you love you. I'm not brushing her teeth. Praise the Lord, I don't have to shave her face. That'd be awkward. <laughs> she doesn't get a buzz cut. Right? What it means is with the same attentiveness with which you have for yourself. Somebody saying, well, I don't really love myself. Trust me, you love yourself way more than you realize. You ever hear that line? You can't love other people until you love yourself. Do you know who said that? The devil. The problem you have is, the problem you have is self-love. It may be distorted in a variety of ways, but can I ask you a question? Do you ever stop brushing your teeth? I'm not talking for like little kids living at home, right? I'm talking full-grown people. Do you, do you tend to your potty issues all by your full-grown self if you can? Do you feed yourself? Right? You, 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 you love you. What we're being called to is attending to others with the same attentiveness which we have for ourselves. Selflessness. You can't love others until God first loves you and opens your eyes to the love he has for you. And now you enter into a battle to think biblically, to live out your new identity, and to fight to love. Y'all tracking with me? No, let's start over. Y'all tracking a little bit with me? All right. So, so check this out. It says, In the same way husbands love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. So there's a little spin on happy wife, happy life, but you've got to land this the right way. Being that my wife is one flesh with me, whatever I do for her, I'm doing for me. Whatever she does for me, she's doing for her, because here's the kicker. As a married man, I can't progressively sanctify fully unless my wife is sanctifying alongside me and aiding me in my sanctification. Goes both ways. Do you understand that? I, I am dependent on her by God's decree as a helpmate. Do you want to know, understand how submission works so it's not inferiority? Do you know who else is a helpmate? The Holy Spirit. Do you know who else submits? Jesus to the Father. Don't misunderstand God's order with, with value or worth. But what we have here is the husband being called to nourish and cherish his wife just as Christ does us. What does that mean to nourish and cherish your wife? My, we were over at my parents for dinner this week and Laura was drinking out of a, a teacup. And it just didn't fit the motif of my parents. You know, I'd say like, husbands and wives, you are always there for me ready to provide a hug whenever I need one, with an attentive ear to listen to me. And I'm like, Laura goes, Chuck, did you get these for Janice? And he goes, yeah. And my mom goes, oh yeah, that was a couple years ago. It was the first Valentine's Day gift I ever got. It's not the, the fluff stuff. Nourishing and, and cherishing is a, a deep, abiding desire to selflessly see the progressive sanctification of the spouse. It's the husband desiring to see his wife know her identity in Christ. 
and to walk in a robust joy of who she is before Christ, treating her as such. Now, husbands, listen up. If you don't do this, you are doing harm to your wife. Do you understand that? This isn't like some pragmatic offering of, hey, if you really want to have a happy life, you should nourish and cherish your wife, but don't worry about it. God's sovereign. He'll do it. He'll just, no, no. If we're not nourishing and cherishing our wives as the head of the family, as God calls us to, protecting them, not just physically, but spiritually, helping position them for the spiritual well-being, not pulling it off all by ourselves, because you can't but guiding them as an example before them and encouraging them to be where the Lord desires them to be so they might be built up in Christ as God intends, looking at Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're failing our lives. We're failing the Lord in a sense, and we're doing damage to ourselves alongside them. This is serious business. Our job is to nourish and cherish. Now, let me explain. You can't do this apart from regeneration. Oh my, hey, Chrissy, I'm sorry. Welcome back. I just saw the mama. Anyway, (laughs) you can't do this on your own. You can't fake it. You can superficially put on the wax fruit. Here's what you get. Lost people, they could eros and phileo. Right? You you can be attracted uh, as a lost husband to your wife. You can be attracted to your wife. I went to a country club and learned at about the age of eight what a trophy wife was. You can get new ones. I didn't know this. And it was weird because, like, Grandpa was married to his granddaughter, but I was told, shh, that's not his granddaughter. It's his trophy wife. You, you can have eros and phileo, and you can buy your wife flowers and send her on trips and give her pretty jewelry. That's not nourishing and cherishing because you've got to put the agapao on the back end. Selfless devotion, putting the other's interests ahead of your own. How do you do this? You must be born anew. As one who's born anew, how do you do it? You slow down and think. Who is God? How does he love you? What does he call you to? How does he equip you to do this? What do you do when you don't really feel like loving and nourishing and cherishing your wife because she just irritated you? You ever get to the point like you feel like you know what you should do, but you don't do what you want to do, and you do what you don't want to do, and like Romans 7? Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. Repent. Hear the gospel again. Remember and rejoice. I hope you're picking up on this. This isn't just for husbands to wives. It's not just for wives to husbands. It's all for all of us to one another as we live in light of how Christ nourishes and cherishes his body. So what do you nourish your wife with? The word of God. The love with which God has equipped you to love her. The husband should build up his wife, rejoicing in the fact by God's grace as he does, he builds up himself. How? Because we're one flesh. To cherish. Here's the kicker. I want you to understand this. Jesus cherishes us. What does that mean? He knows us intimately and cares for us personally. He doesn't call you to be like everyone else or or a weird conformity to a Christian middle. If you're born, we're all born with unique limps. We just do a good job of covering our limps, don't we? You know, we we, we keep the facade. We we don't have, there's sin issues, personal sin, fall, but there's also suffering issues. 
God knows that, and he cares for us in light of that. Well, that's what we're called to do, husbands, with our wives. Our wives are all unique creatures. We need to know them in their uniqueness. We need to care for them in their uniqueness. We should take an interest in what they take an interest in, unless it is HGTV. That's of the devil. I don't know how it is, but I'm holding that position. My wife needs to love sports for her mutual sanctification with me, right? But in reality, is there not a level of which I may want to watch sports, Laura may want to watch HGTV, and one of the ways I can affectionately cherish her is by sitting down and watching that nonsense with her? Maybe even taking an interest in it beyond calling it nonsense and wanting to understand why my wife delights, delights might not be the right word, but why she enjoys watching this show, asking her to explain it to me, asking her to, to show me what goes on with it. See what's going on there? Do you know Christ does this for you? He doesn't have to ask. He already knows our hearts, but he cares for us knowing our hearts. You know, it's a lot like 1 Corinthians 13. You ever have someone, flip over there for a minute, you ever have someone tell you, read 1 Corinthians 13 and replace your name? You ever do that? No? Is this just me? Did I have the one really bad class in church when I came to faith? You're supposed to change the word love with your name. So it sounds like this. <laughs> Don't laugh. John is patient and kind. John does not envy or boast. John is not arrogant or rude. John does not insist on his own way. What are you laughing at, Barb? John... <laughs> John is not irritable or resentful. John does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but John rejoices with the truth. John bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. That's stupid. Let me do it a different way. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. Land that properly. He does, but you can land this properly, okay? He is not irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. He rejoices with the truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He never ends. Now, when I understand Jesus in that light, the silliness of what I said on the first part begins to become true. See, because little by little, as a husband, as a saint of Christ, by grace through faith, the truth becomes that John becomes patient and kind, little by little. John begins to not envy or boast, little, little by little. John becomes less arrogant, less rude, and less insistent on his own way. John is not quite as irritable or resentful and doesn't always now rejoice in wrongdoing, but sometimes rejoices with the truth. Why? Because I'm being conformed into the image of Christ as he nourishes and cherishes me. And as he does that, I am positioned to nourish and cherish my wife, who is part of me, one flesh with me. Do you see what's going on here? You see, you got to remember Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4 until before you get to 5. Here's the kicker. A Christian marriage should look so radically different than a lost person's marriage, but it requires thinking. You want to know the the, the primary problem every single person has in marriage. You got marriage difficulties? No, never in a church. Selfishness. You want to know the problem with this? You can't stop it on your own. 
You, you can fake it, you can cover it, you can suppress it to a degree of there's pragmatic benefit, but marriage is only successful when it's selfless. So think about it in this culture, where, where the, the culture treated women as servants or slaves, and the church treats them as equals in Christ. Helpmates, partners in the sense of one part of a whole, that just looks crazy. Well, it should look crazy on our side, too, as, as our culture flips to the matriarchal side with the feminist movement and, and the loss of gender roles and responsibilities. And I don't know if you noticed, but the family unit is slowly assaulted little by little. It's difficult for us to navigate what's going on because it, it, it's, it's corrupted so many different ways. Watch commercials. I am amazed by the number of commercials that normalize two men living together. Just watch. watch. Watch people making a bed in a Target commercial. Look who's making the bed. Yep. Now, here's where the church messes it up. That's horrible. I'm not shopping at Target anymore. Well, there's that disobedient child thing, which is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord for next week, so why don't you clean up the family unit before you try to fix up the world? And here's the point. When marriages go bad, when, when, when we lose the structure and order of marriage, you know what comes next? The children. When we lose the child rearing as, rearing as the Lord intends, you know what comes next? The Christian in the workplace. When we lose our roles and responsibilities in the workplace, it begins to permeate society. Do you know what God's calling us to? To be salt and light, to be a beacon of hope, to be a display of his gospel power. And it starts with husbands and wives. Not berating others because they're not submitting to a biblical worldview. How can they apart from Christ? Isn't that a kicker? Why do we yell at people to obey the rule? That's not the gospel. The gospel is, here is the law. You can't obey the law. Let me explain why. Let me explain what that means. Now let me explain who Christ is. And let me explain the only difference between you and me is grace. Free, unmerited grace. That's what praying is so hard as we pray for Ukraine and, and Russia. We, we like to make it black and white. Russia, bad. Ukraine, good. I'm not saying in part that's not true. But it's more complicated than this. Life is more complicated than this. Bring it down to the marital union. How often, husbands, are you all right and your wife's all wrong? You got two sin, recovering sin addicts clashing heads. So, so, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does a church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This was my motivation to get out of the Christmas card. You see how a lost person can take scripture and spin it? Well, well listen, first... You're going to take my last name, because that's just a rule. Oh, my, my dad would be so ashamed of me if I couldn't execute on that going into marriage. Who wear the pants in the family? Get your woman under control. That's not biblical. I hope you understand that, right? Sort of biblical. It's not biblical. I'll explain that downstairs if you want to ask that question. But wise, you better be getting your husbands under control. It's a mutual submission here. But what is this? A man leaves his father and mother, holds fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What? 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 
Dylan, would you unpack this? Because I feel like I don't want to step in this stuff. I, I might offend somebody. I, I, I might make a mess out of this. Quran, you come up with the baby. Let me, let me explain what's going on here. Why doesn't it say that the wife shall leave her father and mother and hold fast to her husband? Do you notice it just says the husband? Right? Well, I don't have little girls. That, Ricky's got a couple. And I think Dan's got a little grog. I'll ease back on Ricky because I already pointed out this, this dead body they had in the house last week and uh, the, the mystery going on there. I assume if I had a little girl and she got married, it, it becomes a, an unequal partnership where I'm still in charge. And, and, and you can't talk to my daughter even though you married my daughter without my permission. Right? So this take that, no. The wife, as a, as a daughter, was under the care of her father. She was under the headship of her father, the, submitting to her father. We'll see this next week. When she gets married, she goes under the headship of her husband. Understand, we talked about headship. We got to understand what that means properly. This is not a servant who goes from taking out the garbage for her dad to taking out the garbage for her husband. You've missed the whole point of marriage, and that's what you pulled off. But the husband was in a way under the headship of his father, and now he's become a head. So he's speaking to the husband, establishing his new roles, his new identity. You are no longer under the authority of your parents as you used to be. You're still called to honor your parents, but you're not called to obey your parents because you're the head of a new family. And so he's setting up here, it gets distorted legalistically. Sometimes believing sons say to believing fathers, you're not the boss of me now. Missed the point there. Totally missed the point there. You're technically true, but man, you've lost the honoring component. It's setting up the fact that when a husband and a wife get married, listen, husbands, listen close. Your wife becomes your number one priority. Remember when you all first got married and you had the holiday season come into town and whose house you're going to go to? It becomes this weird conversation because the wife's like, why? I don't want to miss out on, on, on Christmases that I remember growing up, and I, and I want to be with my parents, and, and, and I can't just say no. And then the, the husband, maybe you've you got parents who are a little bit more like, a little more direct. They, they play the direct card. Don't come, that's fine. Won't get you any gifts. You don't love me anymore. So, so then the husband and the wife like, but, 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 but we got we to, gotta, see, here's how I did it. I used this. Look how smart I am. Well, Laura, my parents aren't even saved. Yours are. Clearly, we should go to my parents' house for Christmas because they're going to hell. Gives us opportunities to share the gospel. Your parents are good. We'll spend forever with them. Mm, right? Yeah, I believe that. I got a bridge to sell you. Laura's mom is all nice. Like, she's like, what? No, whatever you guys want is fine. Oh, we'll miss you. But my mom's like, well, if you don't come, I may spit in your soup. Right? So, so then you get arguments in the home. It's like, why? Because well, here's what you forget as the husband. My job isn't to please my mama. It isn't to nourish and cherish my mama above my wife. It's to nourish and cherish my wife above my mama. It's to do what's best for my wife, no matter what that may be. Now, how do you fit in honoring your parents while you're putting your wife as a top priority? Think, ask, pray, seek wisdom from fellowship, but understand what he's saying. A husband you got a new role now. Not only are you a full-grown man, but you're the head of your wife. Nourish and cherish this woman. 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You always see a really messed up text. Without a show of hands, have any one of you read the, uh, the however many love languages? If so, and you don't want to burn it, one day we'll have a book club and I'll show you what is so horrendously wrong with that book biblically. There are kernels of truth in there, but there is so much wrong with it. And this text kind of pulls some of it. Well, see, wives need to respect their husbands because husbands need respect. And, and wives are different. Wives need affection. So for a happy marriage, I need to hug my wife and give her kisses and say, oh, I love you so much. You're so beautiful and wonderful. And that will build her up. And she needs to honor me. Oh, what a powerful and mighty and wise man you are. What a delight to be married to her. And I go, oh, yes, I am. And then I'm happy. And then everything's great. No, 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 no. You know why it says wives respect your husband? It's really, really simple. Do you know why it says it? It says respect the position. Don't, don't respect him because he merits it. Respect him because of the position God has entrusted to him. Submit to your husband. Even if he's an absolute stinking jerk. Submit to him. Respect him. Because that's the position God put him in. And, and don't leave him, abandon him to his sin. But respect the position. What are husbands supposed to do? Love their wives. Wives are called to love their husband. But that's the word respect. It's not about a love language. It's about a position, a calling God entrusts to a person. Three weeks it took me to get through this section. What do we do with it now? I hope I have something or this was a debacle. Number one, think. These are not pragmatic instructions to have peace in the home. Right? This isn't like a fix it up for a messed up marriage. This isn't a, a improve it for a good marriage. No, this is marriage. This is what marriage is to be. Husbands and wives mutually submitting to one another. That's why verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he explains how in marriage. But the only way to pull it off is to think, think, think biblically. It requires an understanding of who we are in Christ, how Christ sees us, what it means that we are united to Christ, we are in Christ, we are the body of Christ, we are the church of Christ. I'll give you a couple examples. I won't even land them for you up here, but I'll tell you things you do, and then I'll say think. This passage answers it clearly. We talked about last names. Many women in our culture keep their maiden name. Many people hyphenate. Most still go with taking the husband's name. We've got to land why. It should be biblically based, not culturally based or familial based or personal preferential based. It should be for the glory of God. Drive it. How, how about this? Bank accounts. Do you merge them or keep your own? Biblical basis. I'll give you a little kicker. If you're one flesh... You see, it kind of makes sense here. Now, there are nuances. Don't misunderstand. Sometimes for tax purposes, retirement purposes, Laura and I have separate accounts because she was a teacher at one point. I, 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 she drops dead, I get her pension, but the pension says her name on it. Doesn't mean you got to go crazy in a legalistic way, but what I am saying is think, think. How about roles and responsibilities in marriage? Who does the cooking and cleaning? 
Who drives the car? Who takes out the garbage? Don't go by the cultural call. I mean, Kim is right, kids. That's why we have kids. God, God made kids because we didn't always have remote controls. You should not have to get up to turn the TV channel. That's what I was told. But roles and responsibilities, it fits in. So think, think biblically. Don't just go by assumption that all that we do be done for the glory of God. Not selfishness or cultural conformity or personal preferences. That goes into number two, fight. Fight to live out your identity in Christ. Don't fight with your spouse. Fight to live out your identity in Christ. That's the key. That's how this text applies to all of us. Because we're all married if we're in Christ. We all need to fight to understand, who am I? Someone asks you that question, who are you? What's the first thing you say? You know what it should be, probably? I'm a beloved child of God. That's usually not what we go with. You move into a new neighborhood, you meet someone, oh, tell me about yourself. How often do we start with our vocation? You might freak out your neighbor a little bit. Well, I'm a beloved child of God. But what if he said, what do you mean by that? Well, I'll be. Uh, what, what if we weren't ashamed of the gospel? What if we thought it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? I don't know. Fight, fight, fight. Fight towards in marriage, mutual submission towards progressive sanctification. Husbands, husbands, please don't miss this. You cannot sanctify your wife. If you have kids, you cannot sanctify your kids on your own. But you have the responsibility to aid in the, the progressive sanctification of your wife and your children. Before the Lord, that is your calling. doesn't mean you have to have all the answers and know everything. But it means you do have to set the example and guide them too. Little kid says to his parent, why do I have to go to church? It's a very easy answer. Because the Lord has charged me with that care of you. Well, I don't like to go. That's okay. Let's dig into why. Do you see? Well, we'll get to that next week. I'll stay in my lane this week. Number three, realize what Christian marriage is, what Christian marriage points to. And don't miss this one. If you're not married, the joyful responsibility of helping your brothers and sisters in Christ to steward their marriage well. I'll give you an example. Someone comes to you. I can't stand my spouse. You know what cultural response is? Well, why don't we have a ladies weekend away? No, no, no. Nope. Nope, nope. Well, you know, men are such jerks. Nope. I mean, yeah, but nope, that's not the answer. <laughs> oh, they're, they're just like little children. They you just have to... Mm -mm. Do you know what you say? I can't stand my spouse. Tell me why. What's going on? You start to point them to the gospel and a picture of marriage and what mutual submission looks like, and men were doing the same thing for one another. Do you know, men, men husbands and wives, we're, we're not called to have parallel lives. This text says we have to, to have joined wives. We're, we're not supposed to be living these two existences and bumping into each other in the evenings. No, we're supposed to be living as, as one flesh. Now, it doesn't mean that you've got to take your wife golfing with you every time you go golfing. Maybe your wife golfs. I don't know. Take her golfing. She golfs, you might want to. But it does mean that we should share all of our lives with one another. You know, doesn't Jesus tell us who he is, what he desires, what he enjoys, what his will is? Husbands, why would we do less with our wives? Remember on the back end of it, our union with Christ. I mean, I started here, I said this was sufficient, and then I kept going for 45 minutes. I'll end here. 
Guys, when, when, when you wake up in the morning, start the battle the right way. Look in the mirror. What do you see? Beloved child of God. You're looking at you, but who else is looking at you? The Lord Jesus Christ. What does the day have in store? You have no idea, but he does. What is he doing at every moment in time? Working mightily in your life to conform you to his image. Your progressive sanctification. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion so that you might enjoy him in full as his bride amongst his people for his glory and your joy. That should be the first thought that goes through your mind every day. Husbands, start that way, and then you can look at your wife as Christ calls you to look at your wife. You can love your wife as Christ calls you to love your wife, and wives, vice versa. Wives, don't leave your husbands in their sin. Don't, don't think submission is tolerating the stupidity of the man you married. No, it's a mutual submission towards progressive sanctification. But that's the key, mutual submission in love. My friends, that's just marriage. The Lord is calling us to all of life and how to live. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wife should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, this mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, as we close, wouldn't it be great if it was the first of the month, we can celebrate communion, partaking of the body of Christ as the body of Christ for the glory of Christ and the good of his people. It's a picture of marriage right up there, or said another way, that's what marriage points to, isn't it? That our, our Lord Jesus came to lay down his life so that we might live. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we might be forgiven. Husbands, as we love our wives as Christ loved the church, we need to remember how he loved the church, and as we come forward as the church, this is what we are doing in remembrance until he returns. What kind of love is this that someone would lay down his life for his friends? You see, one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But he didn't just die. He rose. And it is in his resurrection power by his spirit that we now live. We are supernaturally enabled to know him and love him and love others. And he puts it on display so uniquely in light of his love for us, in enabling us to love him, us to love one another, husbands to love our wives. 
So as we come forward today, we, we got to put the qualifier. It's awful pricey to partake. You, you got to have a reservation at the table, and you got to be able to foot the bill. So how do you know if you got a reservation? How do you know if you can foot the bill? Well, you got a reservation if you've been born anew in Christ. He's written you in the book of life. The maitre d's got the list. The price is way more than you can afford, but satisfied in full by Christ himself. You see, on your own, no one's worthy to come forward. It's not how good a week you had that enables you to come forward. It's, it's not how, how well you've done. It's how perfectly Christ lived on our behalf. This is an exclusive meal for the bride of Christ. But he's a loving God who made a way that all who turn to him will be saved and able to come to the table and into his presence. So if you have trusted in Christ and been born anew by the Spirit, this is the meal we partake as the body of Christ. Remembering what he has done for us, not just in his death, but in his resurrection. Doing this until he returns. Remembering that it enables us in part to live out who we are in Christ. So I invite you to come forward down the center to return back to your seats on the outside part.